You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Well, welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with um, John Baer, and we're going to move on to Gregory of Nyssa, uh, uh, certainly a very important figure in the formation of the Nicene Creed and the development, the understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, named by the Seventh Ecumenical Council as Father of the Fathers. And Gregory, as origin, uh, believed that God would ultimately be all in all, as Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 1528. So let's begin talking a little bit about um, about Gregory. And But before we do that, Dr. Bear, you will be in the coming year releasing a fresh translation of Gregory of Nyssa's treatise on the creation of humanity, the title of which you believe is best translated as On the Human Image of God, a Contemplation of the Formation of the Human Being. So let's uh, continue our, um, our conversation with uh, thinking about Gregory of Nyssa and how he would have thought about what it means to be a human being in light of God being all in all. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, David. Well, thank um, you. I, I don't think it's right to say that I think it's best translated, the title of the work is best translated as On the, on the Human Image of God. I think rather um, it is best to say that is the title. <laughs> Not okay. that it should be translated like that, but that <laughs> is the title on the basis of looking at the manuscripts and how the title actually appears in the manuscripts and the way it refers and what the work is doing and all the kind of stuff I did in the introduction. It, it's a fascinating work and in some ways will give us an opportunity to talk more about the interaction of Christian theology and Platonism that you were trying to get at in the in the last conversation we had with regard to origin. Okay. So Gregory wrote this work called, um, in the way that it is translated, and everybody knows it in English, On the Making of Man. Okay. Right. And because it's called On the Making of Man, we tend to think it's all about how the human being was made at the beginning and whatever else with the fall and this, that, and the other. Um, but I would argue, in fact, that's not what's going on in the work. So let me, let me, let me explain what I think is going on in the work. In the first 15 chapters, Gregory gives us a, an absolutely wonderful and beautiful picture of the human being as the image of God and the very apex, a high point of creation. Okay. Um, and he talks about it in really, really striking forms. Um, but especially interesting is the fact that he talks about it almost in evolutionary terms. He reads Genesis 1 as Moses, he calls Moses an anthropogenist, one who describes how the human being came into being. That's what Moses okay. is doing. He's an anthropogenist. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then Gregory points out that uh, if you follow through the, um, the, the order that's given in Genesis 1, it's got a proper order. God creates. When God creates, God creates instantaneously. God's outside of time. He doesn't do one thing, then another, then another, then another. God creates, period. Yeah. But then what comes to be is manifest in succession because coming to be takes time. Mm -hmm. 
And then he points out that um, there's a progression within the days. And he describes it as, um, he, I'm quoting him now, he says, nature makes an ascent in the properties of life from the lower form to the higher. Nature makes an ascent, as it were, by steps from the lower form of life to the higher. So you start off with plants. You know, you've got the, you've got mm-hmm. the world, you've got heaven and earth, you've got the seas and all the rest of it. Then you get plants. Yeah? And he would say plants have got a power of life. They've got a soul in ancient Greek thinking. They've got a soul because they've got the power of growth and nutrition. They've got an animating principle in them. Yeah. Then next comes animals, um, irrational animals, which have not only got the power of sense per- uh, of growth and nutrition, but have also got the power of sense perception and mobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they can see, they can walk, whatever, all the rest of it. And then finally, you get the human being as uh, the progression of all of this. So the human being's got the power of growth and nutrition, has got the power of sense perception, but has also got the power of, 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 of mind, of rationality, not modern rationality, but you know, just being able to think, being able to talk, and all the rest of it. Yeah? So nature makes an ascent, as it were, by way of steps from the lower form of life to the, to the higher. That's Gregory. Mm-hmm. And then he points out, um, a number of things. He points out that our body is brilliantly adapted for the exercise of a rational mind. So he points out, we've got fingers. Well, because we've got fingers, we can use our mouth to talk as befits rational animals. If we didn't mm-hmm. have fingers, he said, our mouth would have to be adapted for chewing grass or for chewing gnawing bones or whatever else it would be. Mm-hmm. So our very body is constructed for... Uh, the exercise of rationality. Yeah? The fact that we stand upright with our head toward the sky on two legs rather than on four legs looking downwards. All these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things he points out is that um, we're the weakest of all animals, yet are called to be the king of creation or the, the, the rule of creation, which means then that we have to exercise our sovereignty through the cooperation of our subjects. Yeah, strength in weakness. It's mm-hmm. not simply that we, by brute force we, we, we exercise sovereignty, but strength in weakness. So it's all, all framed like that. He also points out that our mind would have no communication or knowledge, communication with others or knowledge of anything were it not for the body. It's only because we've got uh, sense-perceptive faculties, hearing, sight, whatever else it might be, that we can gain impressions that we form in our mind and do, do all that can communicate with each other and so on. Okay, so this beautiful picture of the human being um, culminating with the human being being in the image of God. And what he doesn't do, which is what so many people do, is to say that to be in the image is to have rationality, you know, to have a rational soul or that kind of thing. No, to be in the image is to exercise virtue. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we have to exercise virtue to be in the image. We've got to be kind. We've got to be loving. We've got to be, that requires virtue. Yeah. Okay. First 15 chapters, he does all of that. In the first 15 chapters, he gives this beautiful picture of the human being. But then he starts chapter 16 and says, well, where do you see this? Look around you. Is this mm-hmm. what you see when you see people around you? Do you see the image of God decked in virtue and all of these kind of things? Or do you see 
People who are sick, suffering, end up dying, are usually malicious towards each other and all the kind of things that we see around us. Yeah? So he poses a real problem. Scripture doesn't lie when it says we're made in the image. But when you look around you, that's not empirical reality. You don't mm-hmm. look at you know, people down the street and say, there goes the image of God. No, there's, a, there's a discrepancy going on here. He goes back to um, he then goes back to the text in Genesis, and notes that in Genesis one twenty seven it says, "In the image of God created He him, male and female created He them." Yeah. Now, so the image of God he takes to be Christ, because Paul says Christ is the image of God, but Paul also says there is neither male nor female in Christ. So there's a tension between those two verses. And it's in terms of the tension between those two verses that he then explains how we're in this world of suffering and whatever else it might be. Okay? But more fundamentally than that, I think he's playing on the Timaeus, Plato's work, the Timaeus. Because okay. Plato's work, the Timaeus, also divides itself up in that way. So in, the, in Plato's Timaeus, we've got a long speech by Timaeus, uh, a philosopher, all about creation and how things came to be and so on. He starts off by talking about how God is the most beneficent, the most philanthropic, the most loving, the kindest, and he wants to express himself. He wants In making creation, he's going to make it according to a model. He's going to use the best and most perfect model in order to make creation according to this model. It's not haphazard. Okay. Yeah, it's not there's a realm of forms out there, and he's looking at that and then copying it out here. No, the the the, the model is inherent within the within the creation itself, but it's conceptually distinct from it. But he's making it according to this model. But then halfway through his speech, Timaeus stops himself and says, "Well, actually, I've only given half the account because if I'm going to give a full account of creation or, or, of the cosmos." I've also got to take account of necessity or the straying cause. That's his language. Um, In other words, if God's going to be working all of this, he's also working with recalcitrant matter. Yeah? And I think Gregory's taking up that same theme for the second part of his work. If God's goal is to make human beings in the image and the image is Christ, that requires their growth into virtue. Yeah? Which, mm-hmm. which, which takes time, which takes growth, which takes learning. You know, you don't, you don't naturally manifest virtue. It's something you've got to learn. Otherwise, it wouldn't be virtue. Yeah, it's got to be freely chosen that I'm going to, you know, live for the benefit of my neighbor rather than live for the benefit of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes time to learn to grow into that. Um, and then our reluctance to do that would be Gregory's equivalent of Plato's straying cause or necessity. Okay, so he goes through and does all of that. Um, he also points out in this section that... Uh, when God, in Genesis one twenty seven, God created the human being in his image, he says that refers to the whole of humanity. Yeah, not just human nature in the abstract, but the whole of humanity 
in its individuals. So it's the whole of humanity that is the image of God, okay? as it will be manifest at the end. So we've then got these two parts of the work of Gregory, the first 15 chapters where he talks about this beautiful ideal, the second part of the work where he explores how this takes time to grow into that. It takes time both for us to uh, procreate and multiply, to build up the number to the fullness of the number, and it takes time for us individually to grow. For Gregory, the seed was deposited in the womb. When it's grown to a certain amount, it emerges and is born into the world of sense perception. Our death and resurrection is also a birth into the life in God. And that really and, is uh, for Greg the end when God will be all in all and where his work from the beginning is now finally complete. And so for Gregory, there's a sense that all that humanity is is connected in in this all in all yeah yeah absolutely um because there's an end like i mentioned earlier there will be a fixed number you know we're not going to carry on marrying and giving in marriage begetting and being begotten there'll be an end to all of that um it'd be a fixed number and it's this fixed number the totality of the human race which is together the image of god the body of christ and so for for gregory then it really is mind-blowing <laughs> and so for gregory then this is the def what we need to know about humanity is humanity is is defined by its end rather than its fall yeah yes totally what uh, one can only right, even so speak about the fall in the light of the end and you know, j just to go back to what we talked about with, with when we started the one on the the podcast on origin, uh, we spoke about the way that Paul changed in his understanding in the light of his encounter with Christ. Before mm -hmm. he encountered Christ, he knew those scriptures inside and out, but he didn't think of himself as fallen or sinful or needing salvation. He was persecuting Christians because they've obviously got it wrong. Now he's encountered Christ. Now he sees what the end is like. Now he knows how far he's fallen short. He's fallen short of what he's called to become. Yeah? But you can also do that with regard to a newborn baby. Yeah? The newborn baby is not yet what it's called to become. We, we spoke about that, you know, the, 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 the growth that is required. Mm-hmm. For Gregory, you say that there is a very strong understanding of the unity of all human beings, past, present, and future, as one human being. Yeah, the body of Christ. That's how he does it. Could you say a little bit more about the unfolding of the instantaneous creation and how that, to me, that was kind of hard for me to understand, that Gregory has the idea of an instantaneous creation and in, in that, is everything is, is, is then accomplished in the instantaneous? No. Is everything accomplished? Is the all in all? God, it, it's instantaneous from the point of view of God's action, because God is not temporal. But in terms of it, um, the unfolding of that singular instantaneous action, that takes time. That takes space and time. 
space and time being measurements of creation. Yeah? Well, you note so also what, what that the, for what, Gregory... Yeah, really, what, 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 what both Plato and Gregory are doing in this, and this is why, you know, as hesitant to talk about what Plato's really doing in, in the previous discussion, what they're really doing in all, mm-hmm. in all of this... If I'm right in saying that there are three parts to the work and the final part brings it together, is in fact what they're really talking about is our own life. We start off as a seed in the womb and we grow. Yeah, and we grow and it mm-hmm. takes time. And this is what happens with each and every one of us conception, birth into the world, death, death, which now becomes a birth into life in God, anticipated in baptism, which is a a, a sacramental birth in anticipation of our actual death. You know, that, that they're looking at that, and then they're seeing the whole of creation onwards as modelled upon that. It is the movement from Adam to Christ. Yeah, the whole of the scriptural arc of the economy from Adam to Christ, from infant to the mature human, to the perfect human. Yeah, so it's it's a movement which goes from Adam to Christ which also is recapitulated in each and every one of our lives. Well, you note that, that for Gregory that evil is, is finite and God is infinite. Therefore, yeah. the very nature of our life and character is mutability and movement, yeah. and we will ultimately return to God because, to quote Gregory, as evil does not extend into infinity, paradise will be restored, and so too the tree of life and the grace and dignity yeah. of the image. Yeah, yeah. So for that reason, then evil so cannot have it you know, going forever. He's so profound that you know, by definition, evil is a privation for Gregory. Yeah, it, it, it's a negation, mm-hmm. um, and it is inherently finite. Yeah. So because God is infinite, and evil is finite, our evil ways will come to an end. Yeah. But again. That is a pattern which is actually born out in each of our lives. You know, we do good, we do evil, we're a mixture between the two, no doubt about it. You know, sometimes, some days we do more good than evil, other days we do more evil than good, whatever, all of that. Whatever we do in all of that, we end up in the same place. We end up dead. Yeah? And then we stop working. Mm -hmm. And now God can finally recreate all of that. Well, and, and you conclude your introduction with this beautiful sentence. You write, we are clearly transitory beings, and our existence on earth is clearly a process, the uninterrupted existence of a chrysalis transitioning into a butterfly. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually words from Dostoevsky, although it is echoing very clearly what Gregory does in this work and a couple of other works. You know, he... he 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 criticizes he, he he exhorts people who are afraid of death, and thereby likewise afraid of taking up the cross. He compares them to people who would prefer to remain in the womb and never come out, be born into this sense perceptible world. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they want to identify themselves as what they are in the womb. Yeah, this is what we are. This is what we know. We're not going to go more than that, yeah? Um, And we all realize how idiotic that is with regard to our birth from our mother's womb into this world. We're in a much better position than, than we were in there. 
Yeah, we've been able to grow, we're able to talk, we're able to interact mm-hmm. with others, we're able to fall in love, we're able to all of those kind of things. The richness of life. Yeah, the trouble is we now want to identify ourselves with where we are now. Yeah, and it'd be like the caterpillar saying, or the or the chrysalis saying, you know, I'm going to remain what I am, or we might think that resurrection will simply be a return to being the state of the caterpillar. You know, coming out of the chrysalis as another caterpillar, uh-huh. which is why it's so important that Paul says at the end of Corinthians 15, that we will all be changed. Yeah? And really, it's a, that's what Paul's dealing with throughout Corinthians 15, this, con- this tension between continuity and difference. Uh, you know, he starts off, a seed doesn't come to life unless it dies. You've got to put the seed in the ground, the acorn in the ground. The acorn is continuous with the tree that grows from it. It's the same, it's the same being, but it's completely mm-hmm. different. Yeah. <laughs> so likewise, we also will be placed in the ground to be raised by the power of God in this transformation, like being from a from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Do you think that that's being uh, envisioned for all of humanity? Well, that's what Paul says. Not only in Corinthians fifteen twenty eight, God will be all in all, but we shall all be changed. And for Gregory, it is necessarily the whole of humanity because of that pleromatic character, the the fullness of humanity in its individuals, the the, the fullness of humanity is both extensively and intensively. So, as I say, it's a kind of a parallel between the movement from Adam to Christ and the movement from my own birth, conception and birth, to my death and resurrection. That's a growth. The larger arc is a growth. They recapitulate, they parallel each other. Um, So it's a growth into that fullness of the number that makes up the body of Christ, the whole of of humanity like that, all in all. And it's also my growth into the fullness of the stature of the maturity of Christ. Well, that's quite a vision to have. I think that was Gregory saying. I've well, done I've my best it. to try and, you know, work through the manuscripts, work through the translation, write introduction for it, and I think that that's what he's saying. If I understand it, I'm always happy to be corrected. <laughs> well, I've heard it said that our actions and behaviors flow most powerfully from who we truly believe that we are. And if and if mm-hmm. if we can believe this about ourselves, that we are these yeah. children and that our destiny is to be a part of the all in all, then we, can, then we can grow more fruitfully in this life, and then we can approach death totally. and see it as, as totally. a birth. And that makes all yeah. of life more beautiful, and I think it makes people more resilient to the struggles and hardships of life, and it, it allows them yeah. to be hopeful not just for themselves, but for everybody else. And that's why I think this vision of Gregory about humanity is so important. Yeah, I love that work. Really love that work. Uh, It it really does see everything as growth. So I come out of my mother's womb, and my initial thoughts are the parents. My parents are the cause of my existence. But as I continue to grow, I come to realize that God called me into existence before the foundation of the world. Yeah. 
it's not that those are two chronologically separate things. That is the kind of question we talked about earlier in the, the last one about pre-existence and prior existence. It's not two separate things. But my immediate understanding of my existence is it's the result of my parents' activity. How else am I going to understand mm-hmm. it? But as I continue to grow, and ultimately through conversion, taking up the cross, conforming myself to Christ, and then ultimately for all of us through death and resurrection, I come to realize that God is in fact the one who called me into existence before the foundation of the world. In the sense that word before has got a logical force rather than a chronological force because God's not in time. Yeah. Well, if we could, if we can see ourselves this way, and we can see other people this way, um, then I just think it makes the world such a more beautiful place to be. And and yeah. thank you for helping us through working with Gregory uh, to, um, I guess, to bring this understanding better to light as a part of our Christian heritage. It's been my pleasure, really, my pleasure. Uh, The work probably won't be out for another year or so, um, but really it's one of the key works, which only works really, which gives us a particular vision. This is what it is to be human. And then explains what we see around us, which is, you know, not the image of God in everybody, but how all of this is a work in progress so that we can reach the end as it's been described in the first part of the work. One of the things I appreciate about your work is that uh, you, you know, it's very common for people to want to grow in their faith and to read read the Bible as we think about about the Bible. But what you're allowing us to do is to is to hear, as I think you understand it, sort of the chorus of those voices of the early fathers, mm-hmm. and 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 if we can listen to them, they can teach us some beautiful ways to read Scripture and to think about what it means to be a human mm-hmm. being in a creation in which God will be all in all. At least some of them uh, yeah. had that idea. Totally. totally. For me, you know, reading the fathers is not just a matter of, a matter of finding you know, dogmatic statements that I then pull together and put into a big system like that. For me, it is um, you know, really learning to try and understand how somebody else has seen their faith. In this case, Gregory in this work. Yeah, which people have been copying mm-hmm. through the centuries, and it's, it's a masterpiece of Christian spirituality and theology and so on. You don't have to agree with it. You really don't have to agree with it at all. But just try mm-hmm. and put on his spectacles for a little bit and see how it looks in that way of doing it and what you can learn from seeing things that way. Well, I think that's a very, uh, I think that's a very helpful exercise, and um, thank you so much for being willing to uh, come on the podcast and to talk with us about uh, Origin and Gregory and helping us to learn, I guess, to read Scripture with the early church fathers. My pleasure. Really good to talk to you, David. And greetings right. to everybody. All right. Well, thank you very much. Okay. That was fun. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.